So I want to pick up right where we left off before I open for uh, just some comments um, to determine whether what we've got to do in, in examining these rules, from, in my mind, two things have to be figured out. Since we've determined the fact that there are times in which she, she can speak and times in which she can't speak, th- then we need to figure out, obviously, we have differences in speaking. There's a different kind of speaking. And so we've got to determine if the particular kind of speech allowable if that is violating her submission or not, and if the type of assembly will allow her to speak without being insubordinate. So, think a little bit about this. If a particular type of speech is allowable without it violating her submission, we can agree that singing is a type of speaking which would not violate her subjection to man. Okay, you can comment now. We all agree with that, right? I mean... In studying this, for me, uh, the moment that I see we've got the same word in 1 Corinthians 14 as we have in Ephesians 5, then then the way that I have to approach that is, okay, well then either I have to say, okay, women can't sing because of 1 Corinthians 14, which makes no sense whatsoever, then I had to come back and say, okay, well, then there must be something that qualifies the speak the speaking in 1 Corinthians 14 that is different from the speaking in, in Ephesians 5. And it's more than just singing. I mean, the idea of speaking in, in this verse is any kind of speaking. So it would include anything. I mean, it, it, it would include singing or speaking or privately or publicly. I mean, so... So that speaking was just a general term. So then there must be something that limits the speaking in 1 Corinthians 14. Or I guess the third option is we got a contradiction, which I don't like that option either. So we can agree that singing is a type of, of speaking which would not violate her subjection. What about confessing her faith? We've all probably been at places where a woman has come forward and she wants to be baptized. So, generally, when I, have, when I baptize someone, I generally take that confession standing in the baptistry. Uh, I was holding a meeting here just a couple of weeks ago in Kansas City and there was a woman that came forward and, and uh, the preacher there took the confession right there in the front pew. I mean, wherever you want to take the confession. But the confession was taken before the assembly. Now, do I have to dismiss everybody when I have her standing in the baptistry? Uh, did this preacher need to dismiss everybody before taking that confession? Well, we would all agree that, that that speaking of her making the confession and speaking that, that that confession obviously isn't a violation of 1 Corinthians 14 either. So here's another kind of speech that doesn't violate her subjection. What about preaching? before the assembly? What about leading a prayer? What about speaking at the Lord's Supper? You see, we've gone to something else, haven't we? And we're still talking about speaking, right? Speaking just like singing. Speaking just like taking a confession. But what happens with this speaking, and we all recognize that, is that this kind of speaking and I even inadvertently said it, 
when I said praying, I said what? Leading in prayer. Well, if some if she's preaching, what is she doing? Leading. If she's standing at the Lord's Supper, leading. That's very different, isn't it? That would violate her submission of 1 Corinthians 14, at least in my mind. And so she's gone from a position of submission to a position of leading. So, any comments or thoughts on... Okay, good. No, I'm kidding. You know, one thing I was thinking about in your... You were talking about 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 Corinthians 14. I would, I would, I would agree with that. But I think the question that, or the problem that I could see with that is 1 Corinthians 11, whether or not it's being limited to the assembly. And if, if, if it is limited to the assembly, then all well and good. But if it's not limited to the assembly, somebody can say, well, 1 Corinthians 14 is not contradicted because that's talking about the assembly and 1 Corinthians 11 can still be applied to outside the assembly. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so that kind of puts a kink into the, to the system with all that. That's always been the struggle of, of harm, in my mind, in harmonizing those two passages. I mean, the, the, were there women prophets in the New Testament? We know Deborah was a prophet and a judge, but in the New Testament, do we have a record of... of Women referred to as prophets. Exactly. In, in Acts chapter 21. Um, so we know that there was a, a place for that. Uh, e- even when you know, the parents of Jesus brought uh, him to the temple, there was the old prophet Anna. So we know that Women did. We know that there's a, a, a place wherein she could. Um, and so that would be something that maybe is worth studying. For me, the text of 1 Corinthians 14 seems clear that it is a leadership, leading kind of thing. So there, there must be something different from that to 11. think of as prophesying, you also have this idea of asking questions. You know, the assembly is not the place for that. That's what, what it reads to me. Yeah. So, you know, and then the, the question then becomes is, you know, how, how do we apply this? You know, so you can tell how we've got our services set up here. You know, typically at 9 o'clock, we divide in our classes. And so how do we apply that? You know, also go along with Second Timothy. How do we apply these two passages from Paul in that uh, setting? How do we apply it in our ten o'clock? How do we apply it at our eleven o'clock? And then how do we apply it in Wednesday and then the rest of our lives? So, but you know, so that the application side of it, uh, yeah, I'm going to hit some of that 
that you brought up. I'm going to hit some of that in just a, a second, or at least I'm going to hit it, maybe not get it completely answered. I say that I, I think even though it, it, if somebody can't stand it, they can do that, obviously, I think that means they can still do it. I think the standing is there to mean something. Uh, even if that person's in a wheelchair, well, they wouldn't have wheelchair, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Is they can still do that, even while technically sitting, but I think that stand, the, the term standing is meaning something there. Yeah. It, and, and I think when you look at that, I mean, it, it's... Posture doesn't represent leadership or lack of leadership. I mean, we've had guys who have uh, had surgeries or knee replacement surgeries, and they've led the Bible class sitting in a chair. So they were sitting, but there was no question as to who was leading. So posture really isn't, to me, the point of, of um, I mean, yeah, I, you know, I think it means something. I think in that context, it indicates Generally, what does it generally indicate? Well, someone is kind of leading, is, is the one in, in charge. Um, let me get through some more of this because we're going to get to some of what Andrew said. Thank you. Um, in fact, we may get to it right now. <laughs> what type of assembly will allow her to speak without her being insubordinate? Here's something that we have to acknowledge. We've got to recognize that we have some assemblies not found in the New Testament. Now, that doesn't mean they're unscriptural. It just means that do we ever find a place, and this is where we argue with our no-class uh, no brethren, do we ever find a place wherein we find an assembly divided into classes, divided into children's classes? Do we ever find an assembly like that in the New Testament? Is it wrong to have an assembly like that? No. Um, so what we have to understand is, okay, well, that becomes the application part. So we have to recognize that, you know, in, in reference to some of the things that we do is not found in the New Testament. Now, you know what I mean by that. <laughs> uh, the, um, that'd be a good way to put that. The, uh, some of the, uh, um, incidental things of our services, um, that we don't really re- find them having church buildings, do we? We don't find them meeting in storefronts. We do find them meeting in homes. And this really is going deeper than, or in another direction, really, is the matter of establishing authority and how does one establish authority and what is found in the New Testament that is a binding example and what is not a binding example, just an incidental to the situation. And so all that is to say, th- the fact that we have, uh, we, we have assemblies that are not found in the New Testament. It's not, that, it's not that that's what drives it. It's what, okay, well, is this the kind of assembly where she can maintain her submission? That's the principle that's driving the whether she speaks or not speak, in my mind. The principle that drives that is, can she speak in this kind of an assembly? And is it recognized as violating her submission? Can she speak in this kind of an assembly and it's recognized as not violating her submission? That, that's the issue. Not, the, not necessarily the kind of assembly, but is this the kind of an assembly that she can speak and violate her submission? Now, I recognize, having said that, that a woman's idea about whether or not she can do it may be different from somebody else's. 
we have women in Richmond who will not speak in Bible class. They wouldn't necessarily say that they don't feel like they can. They just feel more comfortable not. No issues with that. There may be women who believe, well, I don't feel like, regardless of the kind of assembly, I, I don't feel like I can speak up in that. Then don't. And for those who are leading the class that recognize that they don't feel comfortable doing that, then to me it's a Romans 14 application of, well, don't call on them to read a scripture and put them in a position that you know is going to violate their conscience. It doesn't matter whether you agree with their under. Well, they should know better. Well, that may be right. But that's not what Paul addresses in Romans 14. He doesn't say, now, your brethren who don't believe in eating meat, sacrifice, I don't know better, so you need to go there and convert those people. That's not what he says. He says, here's how you get along. Here's how you don't look down or judge, or here's how you don't uh, look and, and uh, look at them with the wrong attitude. So I think that's what we do here. A woman may decide that her standards may be more conservative than I would say they should be. That she needs to abide by her standards because Romans 14, 23, whatever is not a faith is sin. So she needs to do that. So I just I want to make that statement like, well, well, well here this woman doesn't feel like she can speak, then she doesn't need to be speaking. And the rest of us don't need to be trying to convince her, well, you need to see that you have the right to speak. Well, that's not my task to do. My task is to respect her scruples on that matter. And I think I think you understand that, and I think you all understand that. Just by, just by reference, I'm not trying to single anybody out, just by reference to the fact that you have someone, some women wearing the covering, some not. You recognize that some have a scruple about it, some do not. But you guys have figured out how to work that out, right? How, how to worship together. This woman feels like she needs to do this. This woman feels like she's not. And so you don't have individuals looking at each other like, well, they should if they were really as spiritual as me. Well, they ought to see there's nothing in that. So we, we have, not just in reference to covering, we have that, I think, in reference to subjection. We have that in reference to a lot of issues in Romans 4. A lot of things that we make issues that really ought not to be issues. I didn't offend anybody, did I? I mean, I, I'm just, just making an observation. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to single anybody out. I just uh, praise you that you have figured out how to do that. Um, and we have congregations in, in, uh, in the city, in Kansas City, the same way. So, here's where generally this issue really like, well, how do we apply it here? What about Bible classes? What about comments and questions? That wasn't a dramatic pause, by the way. That was just... <laughs> well, you know, my, my, my wife was just trying to get me to decide something a minute ago. And I, I said, she, Throwing your wife under the bus yeah, is she, never a good she was idea. joking with me about, well, you know, I'm supposed to be in submission, you're supposed to be, you know, decide. So we're joking back and forth a little bit, but I said, well, you know, obviously if I give you that authority, then you have it. I've delegated that authority, whatever. You know, so I'm me passing the buck, right? So, you know, when I look at uh, the Bible class assembly, you know, kind of like this whole idea of decently in order, you know, the same as a classroom at school or whatever, the kid raises his hands. If I call on the kid, then I've, you know, I'm. it's not like I instantly lost control of the class. I said, yes, you can speak. You know, I'm still running the class, right? But 
you know, like you just said, when you go to Romans 14, I, I you know, I think the primary thing there was to not uh, cause somebody to sin by violation of their conscience. It was not, you know, it, it's a recognition that if it's not by faith, it is sin. Uh, it gives power to this idea of conscience and the violation of it or the preservation of it, right? So, like you said, if we find a way uh, to submit our own preferences and, and with these, you know, liberties or not liberties, we're able to work those things out, that's great, right? But, um, you know, there obviously is a, there is a correct answer. Right, to this question. Yeah. yeah. Andrew? Now, I, I find it hard to think that they never ask questions. You know, just because we call it Bible class, uh, you know, going to your first bullet point, you know, I recognize the 9 o'clock. I, I agree with you there. I agree with that. Uh, but to think that none of the prophets, nobody, Paul never asked a question. You know, and that there was some distinguishing factor between what we call "quote unquote" Bible class that would be this hour versus eleven o'clock with "quote unquote" worship service. You know, it seems to me we're the ones making that distinction there. But you know, we're assembled, so we would have. It seems to me we would have to throw this into the category of bullet point number one in order to throw out First Corinthians thirty-four and thirty-five and Second Timothy, or First Timothy chapter. Okay, let me cover just a couple of things here and see, I don't know if this helps or, or not, or just, um, this is where I'm at on this matter of uh, I mean, call an assembly, whatever you want to call the assembly, acknowledge it, it's whatever you want to acknowledge it. In my mind, who is it that's leading and at what point is that leadership lost? Um what um, Mark? <laughs> I had that. What do you know? Uh, when a teacher like this, I mean, a Bible class teacher is asking for comments and asking for questions, and 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 questions are being answered. There's no question as to, in my mind, who's leading the class. They are the leader of the class. So. These assemblies are being led by the teacher or the preacher and not by those who will make comments or ask questions. Now, I also want you to think about this. If one is setting and tries to dominate the class, that'd be inappropriate. That'd be inappropriate for man or woman to dominate the class. So, it would definitely be inappropriate for a man and he might even be on the verge of being of committing a sin by virtue of, of trying to be dogmatic and domineering. There could be some attitude sins that he's committing there. So there could be sin on the part of even in the even in a class setting, it doesn't always have to just be we think about it in the context of a female. It may not be a female that is asking question that's dominating the class though that, that can happen. I've been in Bible classes where someone has got an agenda and they're going to drive that agenda and they're going to have you listen to it and sometimes you just have to shut it down. We're done talking with that. We're moving on. And it's not that you're trying to be rude, but here's a man that he's trying to dominate. Not going to allow that. He's trying to lead from the pew. Not going to allow that. Now, 
Man can do that. Woman can do that. But when, in my opinion, when we have an assembly wherein we are welcoming a comment or welcoming a question, then that is the kind of an assembly where we're welcoming that kind of a dialogue. Now, can a woman comment on that or ask a question in that? Yes. Can it get to a point where she's dominating and she loses her submission? Yeah. But just the comment and the question isn't such, isn't, in my mind, violating that, violating her submission. Now, what if she tries to do that in the middle of, of a sermon? Someone's preaching. Hey, I got a question about what you said. Would that be inappropriate? That's where I see 1 Corinthians 14. And there's some, there's some discussion about that. Some, some believe that actually what's being addressed here, well, never mind, because I'm going to get that into just a second. I'm not trying to avoid it. I'm, I'm, I just remembered I got a slide on that. So, real quick, here's a summary that was supposed to be a while ago. Our text is a context which is regulating assemblies to keep them uh, edifying and peaceful. Peaceful. To do this, rules for speaking and silence must be respected and obeyed. All speaking for a woman was not prohibited, but only that which caused her to be insubordinate. Some types of assemblies would allow her to speak without her being insubordinate. Uh, just real quick, I want you to notice that in this text, we got three, we've got three universal governing principles of our assemblies. All things have got to be done for edification. God is not the confusion, a God of confusion and peace. And all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. We, as Andrew said, we've got to figure the application, the principle is always the, the difficult part, isn't it? How do I apply the principle found in God's Word and not violate the principle found in God's Word? So, just real quick, and we'll run through these to get through, uh, to get to the slide. A disorderly and chaotic assembly, isn't that what's the implication? So, the, the question for me is, what did the assembly at Corinth look like before Paul gave these instructions? It must have been chaos. If you've got the tongue speakers, if you've got him telling, hey, look, look, just two or three, or two at the most three, one at a time, two at the most uh, three, one at a time to prophesiers, isn't the implication is everybody was trying to talk at once? You know, you just you just got assemblies that, yeah, just disorderly and, and chaotic. Now, there are some interesting phrases I want to hit just real quick. You notice in verse 34, he says, she demands mission as the law says. It raises a lot of, to me, interesting issues when people say, well, what, what law was under consideration? I want you to think about wherein Paul addresses submission elsewhere. We read these verses a while ago, and he always ties it to a, a woman's submission by virtue of the order of creation. In 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 11. I'm not making that tie. God makes that tie. God created man. It's not good for man to be alone. And so he created woman. Both have equal rights to eternity. That that doesn't mean she's not worthy, that she's not important. It is woman that man is to love. And so sometimes in the idea of marriage, this is wherein women think, well... I'm supposed to submit. You know what? Submitting is not a problem when you have a husband that is loving you. Why wouldn't you submit to one who has got your best interest at heart anyway? Um, Another sermon. Let them ask their husbands at home. Now, this is what Andrew's getting. And this is where 
This is where in some suggest that it's possible that the women were being disorderly, that the women who were being disorderly were the ones married to the prophets. That it was the prophets' wives who were the ones that were being disorderly. And it was the prophets' wives who were the ones that were asking the questions about of their husband. And maybe they felt comfortable enough to do that because it was their husband. Now, I have no way of uh, proving one way or the other. Because all that we have, the Corinthians know what they were doing that wasn't right. Paul knows what they were doing that wasn't right. And so all we have are, is Paul's instructions on how to correct what the Corinthians were doing. So it's like listening to one end of a phone conversation. All we know is what Paul answers in reply without knowing really what they were doing. So from that, we kind of have to extrapolate. Well, I wonder what was going on then. Well, it's possible, of our possibilities here, it's possible that these were the prophets' wives who were causing the greatest disturbance. The prophets who were standing up and prophesying and their wives asking questions. And that's why Paul says, if you want to learn anything, go home and ask your husband. Go home and ask your husband, that is the prophet that gave the message today, go home and do that. It's also possible that it's just merely a general statement regarding what is proper without any implication of the women involved. It may just be a general statement. If you have an assembly wherein prophecy is being, being laid out, then there should be no questions. In fact, I would even maintain that should anybody else be speaking or trying to ask a question if a prophet is prophesying? Why is it that he just mentions women? Well, because he's in a context of what are the rules for women speaking. But to me, I, w- I had no problem with saying, well, if I'm presenting a lesson and someone starts trying to ask questions in the middle of the lesson, what if it's a, a man? Well, that's out of order. Now we're back to, in my mind, verse 40. The third universal principle that governs assemblies. It's got to be done decently and in order. That's being out of, out of order, in my opinion. Um, let me just hit a couple of these verses because I didn't want you to think I didn't, I'm not aware that there's some other verses here that, that raises some questions. Paul says in um, the end of this passage or near the end of this chapter, I get through this real quick and then entertain any other comments or questions. Paul says in the end of this chapter, um, verse 36 rather, was it from you that the word of God first went forth or was it, or has it come to you only? I think what Paul is doing here is he's anticipating objection. He's anticipating opposition. Or he's anticipating a justification. And so that's why he asked these two questions. So he says, so, this is how all the other churches do it. This is the instructions that I've given to all the other churches. But Corinth, you're doing it different. So what's the explanation for that? These are, the, these are the rules that I've given to all the other churches and they're following them. You're not following them. What's your explanation for that? Oh, so your explanation is, well, the word of God came forth from you. In other words, it started with you and it's gone to everywhere else. And they're the ones, everyone else, have, have 
digressed from the original pattern. Is that, is that your explanation, Paul says? The word of God started with you. You're the pattern. Everybody else has left the pattern. Or, he says, has it only come to you? Are you the only ones that have received this message? And therefore, that explains the differences. No one else has this information. Paul, to me, that's what Paul is doing. He's anticipating some sort of a justification as why why are your assemblies different from everybody else's assemblies? Oh, it must be the word of God came from you and everybody else has gone to what? No. So the word of God only came to you and nobody else knows. Are those questions that Paul means for them to answer? (laughs) What would we call that? Rhetorical. (laughs) Rhetorical question. He's made his point though, isn't it? I mean, you're different from everybody else. So... The problem isn't everybody else. The problem is with you. Then there's another opposition. What about someone says, well, I've received a revelation that says, look in 37 and 38, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandments, but if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Why state such unless the message of this prophet is opposite to Paul's and supportive of the current chaotic situation. To me, it's still Paul anticipating, if not objection with what he said in 34 and 35, it may be object, they may be objecting to Paul's complete discourse on spiritual gifts. You've got it completely wrong, Paul. Tongue speaking is still the most important thing. And so Paul says, look, if you disagree with what I have said in reference to I mean, this would apply to anything, right? It wouldn't apply just to, if it goes just back to the women, if it goes just back to the rules for prophesying and tongue speaking, or if it encompasses all of Paul's exposition on the attitude toward spiritual gifts, Paul says it really is irrelevant. Where you want to apply this, if someone says, I've got a different message, Paul says, well, he needs to acknowledge a couple of things. One thing I find interesting is maybe that's why Paul states, let the others make judgment. Because maybe one of the things that was being done, I mean, if you've got tongue speakers that are speaking and there's no interpreters present, which seems to be the indication, is it surprising that you would have prophets prophesying and nobody really making any judgments as to what they're saying, if it's true or not? I mean, if they've overlooked the interpreter, don't you think it'd be very likely they just overlooked the discerner of spirits too? And maybe that's why Paul says, look, the one who prophets, who is, who is a prophesier, he needs to speak, but the others need to be making judgments about this. And then Paul states his words of the commandments of God. The one who does not recognize this is not going to be recognized. This idea of recognition is an interesting concept in God's Word because Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 9, that if we or an angel come to you with another gospel, let him be accursed. Don't recognize us as being valid prophets. Don't recognize us as being true teachers. If you call Jesus Lord but don't do the things that he says, then what... Which way is recognition going on that verse? 
God, Jesus, doesn't recognize you. I never knew you. Don't recognize you. Depart from me, worker of iniquity. The New King James says, if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. I have a little note here that said, apparently it was another text that yeah. says to, to not recognize. There. I mean, you get to the same. You get to the same, yeah, you're right. And just one of the final things I want to look at, I think, Look at how many times Paul drives home edify, 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 edify. So you mentioned the idea of these assemblies uh, that we don't find in the New Testament and the idea of authority and the no Bible class folks. You know, and under this idea of, you know, they met daily and from house to house or, you know, they're so when we do go through the process of, of uh, looking at that authority, uh, calling it generic authority to achieve what your slide says right here, to do those things, we have, out of convenience, um, made these other assemblies. Like you mentioned, the idea of Wednesday night or whatever. Uh, We've made those, and we've set the rules for those, and we decide who has authority in those and speaks in those. And all those are things we've decided, right? And so, you know, I think relatively primary to how do we treat those things is, you know, recognition that those are things that have been set up under the under the pretext of the this is what we're trying to accomplish like we know that we're going to travel x amount of miles or x amount of hours or whatever to assemble together on sunday to accomplish those things that we do see so we've added these things the the class hours or whatever so that we can accomplish those things the best way we see fit that's the same thing with assembly you know that for wednesday you know house every day they met house out, you know, obviously they were all in that one town, and they were going around, and they were obviously accomplishing this in some other way. We don't have it very well defined, but this is what we did. Mm-hmm. Now, folks, look at those assemblies, as you know, uh, those traditions that's created to accomplish these things in some weird ways, right? They've advanced or changed or morphed in our minds uh, to be Something different. Um, but, you know, primary to thinking this thing through is the recognition, like what you said. You know, un- under the authority to accomplish, you know, to accomplish these things that are up on the screen, we put these assemblies together. We set the rule. We decided, you know, who's going to teach this, and they- they're going to teach this, and they're going to teach this on Wednesday night. And he's got John chapter 3, and he's got John chapter 4, whatever, right? But Yeah, one of the things that, um, and, and this is the struggle in anything, most of the time the recognition of the principle isn't the problem. I mean, we, we know the principle is found in God's Word. It's the application of the principle, and then the consistent application of the principle. And, and sometimes that, that becomes difficult. Um, obviously, First Timothy 2 says, I suffer not a woman to teach. 
And yet, we have Aquila and Priscilla taking Apollos aside and teaching him the way of the Lord more accurately. And so, it's just like here, 1 Corinthians 14. Women are not to speak, and yet, she can speak in Ephesians chapter 5. So, there are obviously some differences in the text that don't cause the Word of God to be arrayed against itself and, and contradict itself. And that's wherein humble, prayerful meditation in God's Word will, will get us there. And, and truly have in our mind, and this is hard, to not have a bias, to not have an agenda, but just want the truth. Wherever that goes, whatever that takes us, whatever change I need to have. And so let me just real quick end in with here. I think there's some principles. I'm not saying that this is a Romans 14 issue. It can be an issue of sin. I recognize that. So that takes it out of the, the realm of Romans 14. But in the realm of where there may be differences, while there is studying going on in that, let's remember some of the principles of Romans 14. And that is, we need to be avoiding contempt of those that we may differ with. We need to avoid making judgments. And judgments in that context is to condemn. It's not the idea of to discern. It's the judgment in, I have judged you and you are wrong. I condemn you. That, that's the idea of that text or that word. And what we need to make sure is we want to determine that we're not going to do anything that causes a stumbling block for someone. You know, if we had to, if you had to say, well, we're just not going to allow any women to speak in the Lord's church or any women to speak in any Bible class assembly, if that's what you have to do to not cause a stumbling block, then that's what, that's, the driving force has got to be, I don't want to be a stumbling block to someone. And then finally, here's what I need to do is I need to pursue peace and edification. We're ultimately trying to serve the Lord and glorify His name. It's not about me. It's not about my agenda. It's not about my bias. And so I've got to, in humility, continue to study, continue to meditate, even with those that I differ with. And we may get to a point wherein we just have to agree to disagree and then choose the way in which we can both be able to, in that context, still yet work together. Any quick com comments or... Well, I appreciate the opportunity. I don't know if I have opened a can of worms, closed a can of worms, or just completely confused you totally. But I appreciate the opportunity to study this. Um, this is something that, I, like I said, never actually presented an entire sermon or sermons, I guess, uh, on this. But I appreciate the opportunity. Let's pray. Our kind and our gracious Heavenly Father, the one in whom we live and move and we have our very being, we come and approach your throne, Father. We approach it as the 24 elders and as the four living creatures and as the myriad of angels are gathered around thy throne. Our petitions are laid at thy feet. We're a humble, Father, that in such a presence we will have a hearing by thee and that you would hear our, our supplications, our petitions, our desires, we know, Father, they must seem so feeble at many times because of the weakness of our flesh. But we are humbled knowing that the great care that you have for us, because of that great care, we can cast our cares 
upon you and you will hear. We're thankful, Father, for the opportunity that we have had this morning to study your word, to be challenged by the truths found within. We pray that as we leave this place that we will be humbled, that we will be diligent to apply the things that we have found in your word, that we will strive diligently to study so that we may become conformed to the image of your Son, and that we will make sure that when we call your Son our Lord, that we obey Him in all that He has told us to do, so that one day we will hear Him say, Well done. We pray that you would grant us safe travels to our various places, and that we would be able to be the light and the salt of the earth in the areas in which we can be of influence. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.